Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Jordan Smart. If you forgot, I am actually your favorite podcast host. And I'm here uh, again with affirmative interaction. Uh, Mike says so, so. I can't agree with that. But I can agree with bringing Aura and Paul back here for part two of this very important discussion. Thank you. And we're so happy to have Danielle uh, back again. Uh, on the show, Danielle, how have you been? Um, busy. Yeah, work. Like, I'm a case manager, so crisis never stops. Good, good. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. That's not good, but I understand what you're saying. I'm a case manager as well. I, I definitely understand. Um, crisis, uh, whatever. But we have a great show today, guys, and we're going to be talking about the intersectionality between um, our LGBTQ plus friends and uh, blackness and how those things can birth some interesting dynamics. And we're also gonna be talking about um, Southern statement, the church's official statement, and kind of seeing how our community, this community uh, engages more with our faith and again with intersectionality. Um, so before we get started, uh, don't forget to share this video with friends. We want to bring as many people into this conversation as possible. If you're watching with us right now, uh, please tell us where you are uh, visiting from. Please say hello and again, share this video with us. We also do have a podcast. You can find that on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're working on getting getting it on Spotify as we speak. Um, so a big shout out to Asian for working on the podcast uh, for Thanks. us. Okay, so let's just get right into it. So uh, a few, actually, excuse me, before we get into the Southern Statement, um, we have had a few questions, a few things that we wanted to address and just further explore and expand on. And I'm gonna pass it over to Simone. She's gonna lead that for us. Yeah, so, um, you know, last week as we were talking, we noticed that, okay, there's some questions floating around. People are not clear on, you know, some basic kind of definitional things or, or even just kind of concepts that have been thrown out. So I kind of highlighted some of those and have been thinking about them like, huh, maybe we can clarify some of those things. I think it's always important for us all to kind of be on the same page and to um, offer explanation where we can. So um, let's just jump right straight into like some of those, um, some of those questions. The first thing is that, um, Paul, I know that you mentioned that Jesus is a single, was a single lady. And so people are blown away by that. They're confused. Do you mind clarifying, like, where, you know, how did you come to that point? What do you mean by that? Um, and just kind of give us some some background. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, living in an American an American society, um, we we idolize, we worship marriage um, and and sex. And this is especially true in Protestant Christianity, um, where people we we've kind of come up with this narrative, this theology that says, <clears throat> you know, the best way for you to experience the best way for you to experience um, social and so, social intimacy, and the best way for you to be intimate with God is if you're married, and then people will enter whatever text they throw whatever text they they throw in, um, but they completely overlook the the fact that 
Jesus and Paul, two of the biggest figures in the New Testament, I mean, Jesus, obviously the greatest figure, were both single people. And they actually, they said some very strong things about the virtues of celibacy um, and, and singleness. Um, I mean, Paul wrote an entire chapter in the, in the, in the book of First Corinthians where he very clearly says, like, you need to go, and this is no matter if you're gay or straight, black or white, rich or poor, he says very clearly at the beginning of, 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 of um, First Corinthians chapter seven that everyone is supposed to go to God to discern whether he has called you to singleness or to, or to, to marriage. We don't do that. We just assume as long as I have a vagina or a penis and I get hot, that means I'm supposed to be sexually active or getting married. That's just how that works. Um, Paul actually says very clearly that um, in the New Testament dispensation, especially, there is a strong preference given to singleness because, as he says, those who are married to their spouses are concerned with the things that pertain to their spouses. But those who are celibate are able to focus on the things of the kingdom of God. And in the book of Matthew, when Jesus was talking, when Jesus was talking, I mean, Jesus was single. I mean, like, we got to remember that he was single. He was literally single. But we say that the only way for you to know God is if you're married. Like, who knew God better than Jesus? And he was single. But anyways. Um, and then the part where um, um, where the disciples are talking with Jesus and Jesus says some very strong things about marriage that are like, wow. And the disciples are so shook. They're like, man, if that's true, then it's better to not get married. And Jesus says, some people can't accept that teaching. But we just skip right over that part and we go straight to the part that says, for this reason, a man shall leave his, his mother and father and shall be joined to his and, and and then the other part um, where Jesus talks about, you know, in the new world, there won't be marriage. We'll be like the angels. And so to me, you know, in studying especially Catholic, um, Catholic and Orthodox and some Anglican literature, um, it's interesting to see how different from being raised as a Protestant, they get that side of, of, Christ, of Christian spiritual experience that for us, because um, post post um, Protestant Reformation, um, there was we, we we lost we lost an appreciation and a respect for for celibacy and sing, and singleness and whatever. And so it took me going and reading like Catholic sources and like reading the lives of these monks and about these nuns and these mystics who experienced the marriage of the Lamb in this life um, through their singleness and all the virtuous things they were able to do in the world because they were single. Um, and so we have to get back to a place where we. You know, no matter where you stand on marriage, this, it doesn't matter. We need to make sure that we are giving singleness the respect that it deserves. Um, because, you know, often we hear people saying like, oh, if you're single, you're, you're dooming yourself to being um, to being lonely and so forth. And, and in fact, there is a certain kind of a loneliness, but it's not a loneliness that is innate to being single. It's a, it's a loneliness that is, that is um, there because society makes um, has has set up a narrative that tells people the only ways in which you should experience that you can experience intimacy is if you're having sex or being married. But what's really interesting is that Jesus actually says the, 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 the thing that Jesus has said and things that have been said all throughout the New Testament seem to be that God is breaking down these barriers of gender, of race, of ethnicity, of caste, socioeconomic status, of whether you're married or not, whether you're 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 by you're um, your biological family, all those things become kind of pushed aside because like, as it says in John chapter 17, that we all may be one. But with the kind of marriage idolizing culture that we have, um, it's kind of like, we're not all one because people set up marriage as this, this club 
where until you get married, you can't really be in with this, you know, this this group of people. Um, and so I, you know, I just I just remember the fact that Paul, who wrote God knows how much of the New Testament, and then Jesus himself were both single ladies. And we need to rec we need to recognize that no matter where you end up think, believing about marriage or whatever, we need to respect singleness for what it is and see that it's a thing that was ordained by God just as much as marriage was. So that, that's, I hope that answers that. Yeah, yeah, it does. It definitely does. I mean, so that's definitely the single aspect of it. And then what about the ladies aspect of it or lady <laughs> aspect of it, which I think is real. I mean, people are thinking to themselves, uh, Jesus was a man, you know? So yeah. what is it, how did we get to, how did you get to that point of, of being comfortable with saying that and what informs that decision? Honestly, I guess it's, it's just being queer. It, it teaches you to challenge. <clears throat> I'm actually reading a book right now. I just started the um, the other day. Um, why is it blank? Why am I blanking on it? Oh, how to be gay, and um, it's by I think Dr. David M. Haperlin. Sorry, someone get me on that if I'm wrong. Anyways, and this um, this professor, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and he makes the case um, for being gay, it goes beyond just sexual orientation. He also demonstrates how it's cultural um, orientation as well. Um, there are things about um, the, there are things about being gay that transcend just discussions of whether what you know sex and uh, orient, sexual orientation and all those kinds of things. And so, you know, part of gay culture um, is, and he makes the case from what I'm understanding thus far, and again, I've just started the book, but it seems that he's making a strong case that a lot of things that you're seeing, that we're seeing in gay male culture is what this book is about, gay male culture, um, is gay men are trying to rebel against the heterosexual and heteronormative ways that we have been told men are supposed to carry themselves. And so sometimes you will see an emphasis on feminine ways of carrying ourselves or feminine types of deportment, um, which I just think are just healthy ways of men should be able to express themselves that way. But gay men have taken those things and made those things a part of the gay identity and so forth. And one of those things I believe, um, one of those aspects of, um, of gay male culture is challenging the gender norms. And so when I say Jesus is a, is a, is a single lady, um, it's kind of for me, it's kind of like, kind of like saying, Whatever Jesus, whoever Jesus was as a person, I'm inclined to believe that because he is God, not only was he a man, but he is also God and he was a healthy man. I am and I'm I'm inclined to believe that I don't know, maybe Jesus sashayed down the streets. I don't know. But you know, I, I just think that because he's our savior and he is he is he was a healthy man, I'm inclined to believe that he would have done many of the things potentially that you see many gay men do. Um Maybe that's just me, but I just, you know, <laughs> I think Jesus, he was obviously a man, yes, but he was also a single lady. But. <laughs> well, we just want to say thank you so much for sharing that perspective, sharing your journey on getting to that point. And yeah, I mean, you know, just thank you for, for, for contributing in that way. Um, I'd love to hear other people's opinions on it or, or thoughts on it, um, if there if there are any. Um, and yeah, um, we don't wanna open the floor a little bit. I know this is kind of lightning round, so it's designed to be kind of quick before we delve into today, but. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Um, and, and Paul, thank you for, for sharing um, and for breaking that down more. And, and I think, and I'll, I'll try to, if I was hearing you correctly, I think maybe another way or um, more adding more language to what you were saying could be to say that, you know, we serve a God, we serve the Christ who identifies with humankind, with humanity. And so when the Bible talks about the fact that, you know, Jesus intimately experienced and was connected with every point of the human experience, then there's no part of the human experience that we could say that Jesus himself would be ashamed to identify with, you know? And so um, with that being said, um, you know, obviously we live in a very, um, you know, we're human. So our frame is humanity. Um, I think sometimes we f forget to remember, I mean, we, f we fail to understand that, um, you know, God, is God. And, um, you know, we're describing God with our human language and human perspective, but God is much bigger than um, human sexuality and gender. And so um, I know that folks' heads are going to explode hearing that, but that's just the reality. You know, um, there's, there's a lot of um, theological um, study into what's called the cosmic Christ and, and talking about the fact that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, you know? So before humanity, as we know it, were even created, Christ died for us. And so to, to try to dumb Christ down to just our um, human perspective is too small of a lens. And, and um, so the other thing I'll just say real quick is um, sort of, after our last episode, um, there were a lot of questions. And, you know, I think even my mom, you know, I heard from people through my mom because they didn't want to reach out to me. So that was kind of interesting. Shout out to Sandria Nixon. Love you. Um, and, you know, my mom is ready to fight on behalf of me at, a, at the job of a hat. So I had to calm her down a little bit. Um, but one of the things that I guess caused some consternation or ire was when I was talking about the fact that, you know, I have a friend who is um, a gay Christian married man and that um, he has served as a spiritual mentor for me um, in different periods of my life or in different phases. And um, so I'm just kind of reiterating that and restating that because there's nothing to defend. Like there's this like feeling of, well, I need to defend that. I really don't. Um, it is what it is. And the only thing I'll say to maybe clarify that out more is that um, it's concerning to me that persons, particularly within our Adventist frame, continue to assume uh, that God is limited to our frame, to our understanding, or to what our theological constructs and beliefs are. And they, they saw a lot of times, again, fail to understand that God is looking for every avenue and angle to speak to us at different points in our life through whatever vessel God chooses. And so if that is a man, if that is a woman, if that's a gay married man, if that's a transgender woman, um, and I come across their path within a friendship um, in which there's mutual exchange of ideas and understandings and belief, um, and God speaks to that person in that context, there's nothing to be defended. And so what I would do is pray for those persons who are making videos or whatever the case may be, 
trying to portray us as weird or off the reservation because of the fact that we have the intellectual and spiritual hum humility to allow God to speak through whoever he chooses. And so that's kind of that on that for now. And I would, I would probably add to, to what Nixon said. Um, uh, so I, I have been rereading uh, one of my favorite books. Uh, it's called, I used to yes. be perfect and it was written by uh, George Knight. Um, I love the way he frames a couple of things in this book, but I think touches on some of the tension we felt in the last uh, discussion we had last week, uh, primarily with the way that he frames how we as human beings first and Christians afterward tend to uh, observe scripture. And, and he makes a great point in, in saying that uh, we naturally as human beings living and let's say a, a Western society that is used to a certain rigid legality and legislation of this is what the rule is. This is what the fine is. If you commit this crime, here are the list of punishments that will be enacted upon you. Um, and then he talks about how we have just in a very unfortunate yet natural way try to then transition that same framing of viewing laws into our spirituality. But then he goes on to say like that uh, the word of God was never meant to primarily be used as this rigid rule book. That, that is not the main purpose. The main purpose is to share a story of love through a savior. And then we see this get reiterated at certain points, particularly in the New Testament, where the, the uh, Jewish leaders, they come to Christ and they want to talk to him about a particular subject that deals with marriage. And then they ask him, what, what is the greatest law? What, what is it that we can place on, on a hierarchy of rules here? The ones that we can uh, enforce the strongest, the ones that we can in, inflict the punishment in the most rigid way. And Christ realizes that they are making the same mistake that we often make right now. And so he responds in a very simple way. He says, if you are looking for the legality of how we should run uh, our spiritual walk, if you are looking for a very rigid and structured way of this is what the most important rule is, Christ responds with saying, uh, the two greatest rules is loving your God and then loving your neighbors. And then he says, everything else has to derive of these two rules. And, and I think sometimes when we hear this verse, we kind of frame it as a very like wishy-washy, uh, so open-ended, uh, very, a very too liberal approach to what our spiritual faith is supposed to look like. And I think that is a response for how we have been indoctrinated to view our faith as rule enforcers. But that is never the way Christ intended us to view our faith. And so when we run into these issues that cause some tension, we think that there has to be something wrong here because our, our knee-jerk reaction is rules, 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 law, law, law. But Christ makes a, a, a very intentional effort in each of his encounters with the Jewish leaders to say, listen, the purpose is to show love to God and to your neighbor. And all of these other rules and guidelines have to derive from these two, because if they're not, 
then we're we're failing as as Christians. And we see this in multiple areas. We see this with Paul when he in Romans 13, where he says that love is the literal fulfillment of this law. And and I think sometimes we lose sight of that and then we try to place limitations on that love based on how we believe the scripture is telling us to approach certain people and their experiences. But I, I think we have to start reframing what it looks like to show love to people and not try to use scripture as this rigid rule book because that was never its intention. Yeah, I, I mean, you you ended in, in a perfect place there, Adrian, for me. I, I think one of the things that I've really reflected on, and I, I mentioned this a little bit last time, um, is just that, you know, as, you know, Paul and I have been having this conversation over with some people, you know, with the young adults in my church, and then we've had it here. And each time it seems that there are those who are wanting to talk about what's happening, but not engage in a conversation mm-hmm. with what's going on here. And, and we love to talk at people. I mean, Christians have really carved out the arrogance space in a way that I am completely uncomfortable with. Um, we are so much more interested in sitting back in our comfort zone and pointing the finger to say that you all and you and you and you get this, this and this wrong without ever do without ever living out the example of Jesus Christ who made sure that he came into proximity to the people right. who thinks needs to change. Like, I think we should, I can have an honest conversation and say that I actually probably disagree with you on what needs to change in the lives of those who are LGBTQ plus. Um, but if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you really think you're a Christian and you have not been intentional about coming into proximity to those people that you think need to change, if you haven't been intentional about listening to those people, you haven't been intentional about showing those people love without them having to change first, then I tell you, you are not a Christian. And if you talk about people, but you haven't gone through the Matthew 18 process, you're not a Christian. God is nowhere in you or in your life. If you're sending text messages about what's going on in other people's lives and what's going on with other people's things, you're trying to spread information or you're making videos on the internet, but you're unwilling to have conversations with the people. You cannot call yourself a Christian. You can't. You need to go. You need to get that out of here. Like you need to stop. That's not Christian at all. And so Simone's telling me to calm down. <laughs> no, no, turn up, turn up. You've taken the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. You've taken the name of God in vain. God does not operate or behave that way. And we have people who are willing to engage this conversation in a candid and honest way. Um, and you are ruining the witness of Christ. You're ruining his name in the world. And you're taking the position of the accuser of the brother. And you're taking the position of the antichrist um, by your by your actions. And, and I'm honestly, I'm tired of it. So that's that. On that. So quickly piggyback off of what he said. The reason why I, I want to make that clear, the reason why in our last episode, we made an intentional effort when we discussed it with Aura, with Paul, we discussed it with amongst ourselves. And we came to the conclusion that we don't want this to become an episode of a theological debate between traditionalists and progressives. 
because the reason is this topic deals with with real people and their lives, their their livelihood, their existence, their identity, the way that they view themselves, the way that they've come to learn how Christ views them and how he loves them. And when we get into this theological debate of of traditionalism and and pro progressives, uh, we never get the results that that we want. And in many cases, people are choosing to believe a particular theology. And many times they stand firm in that. And that debate, it does not give us the answers that we want. That debate is not going to, me debating a traditionalist is not going to cause them to now view the idea of a monogamous same-sex healthy relationship. In, in any different way, that that will happen. What what will happen is in that conversation, we are hoping that you will feel some convictions to experience a deeper meaning of love. But I I don't want this to turn into that thing where I, I throw this verse at you and you try to use your verse because it doesn't it doesn't work. And I think that is part of the message we really want to get across. We do not want to get into this battle of verses because we're dealing with people and that that has to be our, our primary objective, our primary motive. And, and if, if we lose sight of that, then we're dehumanizing them and we, we have to learn from our past mistakes. I, I really want to just echo what both you and uh, you, Adrian and Garrett, you guys said so well and just kind of add a little bit here of this idea that Christians just need to really stop thinking that this is something that they need to fix, that there's something broken, there's something off. And if, and like what Adrian was saying, if I just talk to them, then, you know, everything will be made right. Then everything is going to go back to the way it's supposed to be. Like, it's just, but that's just not the case. I think Christ just keeps it really simple. And again, you guys have said this already, but it's just wild that I think we miss this constantly that we're supposed to love. And then from that, the spirit directs us on what to do next or what not to do next. Maybe it just says, sit here. Your role in this discussion, in this whole thing is just to love on them. And that's it. And I feel like if we just simplify our Christian walk and just letting the spirit guide us, we can avoid so much headache and we can avoid causing so much pain. And honestly, those guys, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that I agree with that. And I think that uh, it's important also for Christians to really embrace the idea that we are constantly in a space of gaining new revelation from the Holy Spirit. So the fact that we are so beholden to what we were taught 50, 60 years ago um, means that the spirit is, might be going somewhere that we're not following. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to be able to engage in this and recognize the fact that the Holy Spirit moves like the wind. And so as the wind flows, we have to just breathe in and accept that breath and keep it going. And so, I think even to narrow it down for Adventists, this concept of present truth, if God is supposed to be continually giving light to God's people and there is some new light, should we just stop and not accept that new light because that light is different than the light we had before? And so I think it's important for us when we approach conversations like this to recognize that 
things change and that's okay. That the Holy Spirit moves in different directions and also that we can't continue to live with the, these fake binaries in our minds. You know, the world is not this or that. Like the Bible shows us just how rich and complex this world is, how rich and complex human life and relationship is. And for us to attempt to put that into this is this and this is that is wrong. Even God is non-binary. Yeah. God is three. So yeah. how do we explain that? So I think that's really important for our, any conversation um, whether it's about in a dialogue with our LGBTQ plus friends and family or about anything else, about race, anything like that. It's about coming, will, sitting in a conversation and being willing to say, Holy Spirit, wherever you take me, I'm going to go with it. That's all. First of all, holy cow, man, y'all getting me fired up right now. Like, I'm going to go for a six-mile run after this episode. I'm very hyped. I'm loving what's pissed said right now, being dead serious in that fact. Guys, thanks again for sharing. Thank you, Simone, for leading out. Definitely appreciate you. We're, we're going to be transitioning now, and we're going to talk about uh, Southern's response. And, hey, you know, look. I personally am not an arsonist, but I feel like we're going to start a fire right now. Uh, Mike, do you mind putting the response <laughs> that Southern did on the page? Jokes are uh, being workshopped as we speak for future episodes. <laughs> I, I have I have no jokes. No <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and, uh, and read it for everyone. Um, and then, guys, feel free to jump in and um, just, just give your responses to this when I'm done. Southern Adventist University stands with our students, alumni, employees, and friends of color. While, we, while our values do not fully align with the, with the organization Black Lives Matter, we do firmly believe that Black Lives Matter. Um, and I think it's important for me just to point out super quick, when they talk about values, uh, they did, I believe, clarify that they don't believe in, they, 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 they believe in the standard, what was the verbiage that we used before we, we, we came on today? Yeah, I, I think someone asked them, you know, um, you know, what about the Black Lives Matter organization mm -hmm. do you not fully align with? And their response on Instagram uh, to that comment from their official Southern Adventist University account was that we believe in a traditional view of marriage and sexual. We hold a traditional view of marriage and sexuality, I believe is as close to a direct quote as, as, as you can get to what they said. And, and there are screenshots out there to confirm this. But yeah, we hold to a traditional view of marriage. Gotcha. And Thank you so much for that, Garrison. So guys, what do you think? I mean, when you first saw this, what were your initial thoughts? Just pretend as if this is the first time you're reading it. What was your gut reaction? I'm very interested to hear. And then we'll, uh, we'll dive in from there. I, my my gut reaction was oh boy, down. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly that. <laughs> uh, I think when I saw this statement, it kind of confirmed. It really just 
yeah, it confirmed like every fear that I had about the Black Lives Matter movement and how it was going to be perceived by Christian organizations. Um, existing as a queer Black person is terrifying. There's a quote that basically says to to be queer and to be Black and to exist openly is to choose happiness over mm. safety, um, which is something that, you know, it resonates deeply because uh, there's so many there's so many things about my existence that could trigger people, that could upset people. Um, and it does put me at risk because I exist so openly. Um, and seeing that statement, it was frustrating and it was hurtful. Um, and it just, it bothers me because it's like, I'm never gonna go to the church and ask them to change their theology. Like that seems like a lost cause at this point. But I just feel like as Christians, it shouldn't be super hard for you to be like, you know, even though maybe I disagree with this lifestyle or whatever, people shouldn't be killed because of it. You know, like people shouldn't die because of it. And I can still stand for their right to just exist safely. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing that came to mind is just the way that we pivot so quickly um, in the Christian community from saying like, okay, this is an affirmative protection, like Black Lives Matter, to all of a sudden, the affirmative thing about Black Lives Matter is embracing every single lifestyle decision that comes with a certain, you know, lifestyle that we don't agree with, right? Like what part of their life mattering got separated? You know, like how do we get to life mattering and then all of a sudden we're criticizing lifestyle? Like we should never be at the point where somebody's lifestyle warrants their death, right? Like like we should, that should not be our, our go-to. And so it just was so indicative to me and, and something that I feel like that pivot happens so often where all of a sudden, in order to protect another person, we have to agree with every single thing that they do. And it's just such a, it's, I think it's toxic. I mean, it's such a problematic perspective. Um, and that was the first thing that came to mind. Like, how do we even get here? If you follow the logic, like, if we're, if we're literally protecting lives, then why are we talking about sexuality as being the selling point for protecting their lives? Like it isn't, they're just, it is, it's so simple and yet it's made so complex by that rotation of viewpoint. And it, it actually is, it's quite, it's quite amazing to me that this is just another example of how straight people hypersexualize queer people. They act as if we're, it's like, First off, even if even if even if someone is gay and they're sexually active, so what? Their lifestyle has value. But it's like automatically when you hear gay, you automatically jump to all these conclusions about what they're doing, what they're not doing. And then furthermore, you think that based on what you think they might be doing or not doing, their life, the value of their life and the and and the dignity of their life falls or rises based on whether they're doing something that you think it, it, it frustrates me to know it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're supposed to protect people's lives, period. It doesn't matter what you think they're doing. If you think that what they're doing is right or wrong, their lives are at stake. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to protect them. If you don't protect those lives, you aren't a Christian, period. This pisses me off that people that people get so caught up in that bull crap. It's like, protect the life. Let me calm down, guys. Let me calm down. 
No. Paul, you got to be on your mom's energy, bro. And furthermore, if you aren't going to support Black Lives Matter, the organization, as if it's separable from Black Lives Matter, the statement, what Black organizations are you supporting? Are you supporting the NAACP? Are you, mm. what are you supporting? You have so many problems wrong with this. In fact, this is nothing new. They gave Dr. Um, they gave Martin Luther King all kind of problems. My family, I have family members who, um, my family members had problems with Dr. Martin Luther King because his methodologies were too wild or whatever. And so it's like, this is nothing new where a movement that's actually doing something good, the people who claim they really care are nitpicking are nit nitpicking this movement that apparently has so many problems, but you aren't actually supporting something else in its place. And what you actually run the risk of doing is undermining a movement that's actually that actually has the public attention and has the ability to do so much good, but because you can't get over the fact that, oh, there's this one aspect of it that I don't like, therefore I can't support any of it. That seems really superficial. And then I question, Okay, especially for Christians, I want to find the what church are you a part of that you agree with every single thing they teach or they do? So why do we why are we hyper analyzing Black Lives Matter because I don't agree with every single aspect of this? Mm -hmm. I mean, what, if that's a very shallow sense of that seems to me a very shallow type of commitment. If in order for you to support an organization that's so clearly doing so many good things. like Paul's thought was so incredible. Uh, he froze. He'll probably have to pop back in. I know Nick's had something. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, hopefully we we get Paul back in here. But um kind of jumping off of where he was going, I think. Um one of the one of the interesting things that um I think also came out uh from some persons who I heard from through my mom. And I think this mentality plays into Southern statement as well. Um, one of the things that someone said was, um, well, one of the problems with the show was that, um, you know, they didn't have an alternative perspective and the conversation was one-sided. And, and that's always like interesting to me that how, um, cause this is what they're really saying. My perspective wasn't shared. Because the thing is, if we came on here and we were homophobic and we said that gay persons need to be excommunicated, that same person would not be crying out for Paul to come on and talk about being a gay celibate man who is a Christian and who's a pastor. They couldn't care less because it's like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, okay, so how about this? Affirmative interaction, we're going to leave fair and balanced to Fox News because they they <laughs> that's their motto and we know that that's crap. We're not doing that here. So like we I don't need to hear a perspective uh, that says, well, yeah, gay persons just need to be excommunicated because that's the only alternative to what was being said on the show. It's like, what are you all talking about? You know what I mean? Like not not all. And, you know, I'm the inclusion guy, but not all opinions need to be included. I'm sorry. Like we need to have some sort there, there needs to be some sort of a filter at some point which says, you know, we we don't as Adventists we don't have some like debate a, around these things that are fundamental to what we believe and you know we don't have these all inclusive conversations on all these things that we uh, say are fundamental or whatever the case may be and so to sit here and say we need to treat people as humans 
there's no alternative perspective that needs to be shared with that. And I think this is what really plagues Southern here. It's like they're trying really hard to cater to all these different constituencies because there are people out there that are trying to qualify the three word statement, black lives matter. Like that's, that's really asinine. Like that's stupid. Like if you are, if you have an issue with that, the problem is with you, you're the issue. Okay. There's nothing wrong with the statement period. And so to try to like tiptoe around and nuance your way through. And I, I, I mean, I read so many Facebook posts that like, we're saying, yeah, they probably didn't say it right, but I understand what they're saying. No, I don't understand what they're saying. What they're saying was wrong. And and for them to say that and then to come out with this, which I'll put on the screen, like, what was it, the next day or maybe it was later the same day? It's like, well, if you had it within you to say that, then why didn't you just say that first? Like, you said that because you got shouted down. You said that because people had an issue with it. And so now... You're going to say all Black Lives Matter. Well, I don't know. I don't believe you, bro. Like, I don't. I'm sorry. And um, Southern's our sister institution. I'm here for y'all, whatever the case may be. But this is indefensible. And I, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Like, stop trying to cater to all these different constituencies. Stop trying to PR and, you know, message and manage and, you know, sanitize all the stuff that you need to say before you say something. Just say something or don't say anything, period. And and everybody will be better off for it because they made it an issue by trying to say everything. They said nothing. And the thing that they said, in, in effect, inflamed everybody. Because what they, because saying that Black Lives Matter at the end of that didn't placate the people who are mad about supporting LGBT Black Lives. And it certainly didn't, you know, help uh, folks who believe that all Black lives matter. So you're just going to make everybody mad. So say nothing, bro, and just and move on with your day. <laughs> Paul, I know you were in the middle of a thought, so we want to give you an opportunity to, to jump in here. Oh, I was going to say, like, if you have to, if the only way that you can support an organization is if you fully align with every single value, I'm sorry, you aren't a person who should be a part of any organization because <laughs> that's just not how commitment to an organization works, especially like something like this. I mean, that's that's all I was gonna say. Uh, that's all I was gonna say on that note. And it's it's especially sad because it's like Black Lives Matter is doing a lot of the queer Black Lives Matter too, and those need defense. So if you're if you pull out from supporting the organization because you're afraid of a lifestyle. You're saying that black queer people don't matter. And I don't even know if you really believe black people matter in that fact. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's a stupid distinction. And then furthermore, if you really do care about black people, are you supporting another organization that advocates for black rights? No. Then I think that's your point. Then I think that their point is just like, I think they're just, I think they're just covering, I think it's like a CMA, honestly. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah, if I could just like, you know, I, I think that obviously this happened actually like maybe a week and a half ago or, or some time ago. Right. And I think the reason why it's relevant today is because the reason, as we've been kind of elucidating here, the reason why they qualified the statement Black Lives Matter and we don't agree with the organization is because inclusive within Black Lives Matter is the affirmation of the value of queer lives. Right. Of LGBTQ plus lives. And so in that regard, I think the statement was profoundly honest. It, like their response was yeah. very, very honest. 
Um, and, and I think that's really important for us to kind of pick out here because a lot of the people who have issue with LGBTQ plus people believe that they have legitimate grounds to hold their traditional view on marriage and sexuality. And they think that they're standing in some like moral high ground. But the reality is that your views actually dehumanize and they devalue the, the actual lives of LGBTQIA plus people and, and, a, and a, an appearance of a one Logan who I know is going through the airport. But I, I mean, I just want to kind of make make that point that that it was so honest and and it's not just them, because as Nixon said, there were plenty of people who were like, oh, I kind of agree with this. I mean, even before their statement, there are plenty of people who are like, oh, I don't agree with the Black Lives Matter movement particularly because of their affirming disposition for LGBTQ plus lives. And the reality is that until all Black Lives Matter, Black lives just don't matter. And, 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 and so the honesty really kind of exposed not only Southern, which it did expose Southern and their views and, and the, 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 the ill intent there, but it also really exposed a bunch of other people as well. Yeah, I um I want to double tap what you were just saying about just the fact that it's not it is not just Southern. And I know we had a lot of fun. We always have fun dragging Southern when they come out and say something ridiculous. But it is really important <laughs> to note, like the only difference between Southern and all of our other institutions is that Southern just didn't read the room. And that's it. They just mm -hmm. didn't read the room. And they said what they were actually thinking. Everybody else was like, uh, this is probably how we feel low key, but we can't put it out there like that because of where we're at right now. That is really the only difference. Mm -hmm. I also think it's really important to talk about how this is kind of a symptom of Adventist culture at large. Like we are a very, very insular community in many ways. And we are often like very afraid of things that are outside of us. Like we're afraid to be too a part of the world and it's embedded in like e like everything. everything. Like you grow up with it. Like I remember before I went to public schools, hearing about public schools and how they were like these other, like these otherworldly places, like you don't know what could happen. Like that is, that's embedded in the culture from the top down and it, over and over and over again, it limits us and prevents us from stepping out on behalf of other people that aren't us. And it makes us irrelevant because the entire purpose and point of a church is to step out on behalf of people who are not you in hopes that someday they do become part of this community. But we're too afraid to do that. We were never willing to take that leap outside of our community and say, we're going to be a part of this thing that we that we didn't make, that we didn't create. And we're going to completely embed ourselves in that. We're afraid to do that at all levels. Just like a quick example, we have all these at all of our churches. We have like these. This is like a side point, but I have to say it. We have all these like re like religious right liberty like groups at all of our churches, and their entire purpose apparently is I don't know what the purpose is because our religious rights are not being jeopardized right now. But we're afraid to step out on the behalf of religious communities who actually are being jeopardized. Like it just happens on so many different levels. And it's, I think we really have to tackle that part of our culture that's just so afraid to be part of something that's not us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I agree with that. I was going to actually bring up the religious liberty aspect of the statement only because even though it wasn't explicitly said, it is always in the mind of every Adventist. And as we're seeing in society now of Christians who are afraid of being erased or being persecuted for their beliefs, when in actuality, there is no persecution of Christians in the United States. Like Christians are able to worship freely. They are able to practice their religion without you know, interference. Churches don't have to, you know, pay taxes. Like there's still all of these things that churches and Christian groups have that other groups do not. Uh, it's important, I think, also for us to recognize with this statement that just saying that you stand with someone doesn't mean you actually stand with them. Um, there's been a lot of organizations, not just churches, that are like, we support Black lives, we stand with our Black brothers and sisters, but you can't uppercase the, the word Black. You know, you can't take time to actually do things for intentional change that supports the thriving of Black lives in your communities. And it's just, it's better to not say anything at all than to have a performative allyship that is not real and that is disingenuine um, because it's more harmful for you to say that and then have a black student go to your school or be part of your organization or a black queer student go and be part of that organization and then get hurt. This is a point of clarity. Uh, we need to be clear in our statements. And if anyone wants Bible, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We as Christians are not meant to mince words. Mincing words is what politicians do. And for people who don't believe that politics should be mixed with religion, we do a lot of political speak and a lot of political tricks. And like Esther said, it's not just Southern, it's all of our Adventist organizations do it. Um, so when I saw the statement, I was just like, this is the kind of statement I expect from an Adventist organization. Um, this is the kind of thought I expect. But then I also thought, how many people have actually researched what Black Lives Matter stands for, have sat and read their values because it's very clear what the values of Black Lives Matter organization is. And there is nothing in that, in their statement that I believe, this being my point, that I believe uh, goes against a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview tells us that we must stand up for those who are oppressed. Uh, a Christian worldview says that we must be willing to love our neighbors as ourselves. A Christian worldview would say that, you know, we're not supposed to allow people to be harmed in our midst. If we're supposed to be safe spaces, a Christian space should be a sanctuary space for everyone, no matter who they are, a space where someone can find family and community. But that's not what this statement reflects, and that's not what most Christian spaces are. Um, so I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but I'm just also very tired of having this conversation. Um, all Black Lives Matter no matter who they are, 
Like that's it, full stop. Like if you say Black Lives Matter, but then don't even finish a sentence. Like there's no but. This is a human life, a human experience. And if somehow we have gotten to the point where where people believe the rhetoric that's been around for years that queer black lives are somehow lesser than everyone else, this rhetoric that demonizes and creates this effect that queer people are monsters or predators, that is wrong. And to believe that is wrong and it's hurtful because there are queer people who are killed every single day. Just yesterday, I was reading about a queer trans woman in the Bronx that was killed. Where, where is the justice for these human lives that are, that are dying? Their blood is crying out from the ground. But we can sit here and talk about surveys and we're gonna try to do better in diversity trainings. When honestly, it just comes down to, do you believe in the sanctity of human life? I do, so I'm going to stand for all black lives, especially queer black lives. Yeah, I I definitely agree with all of what you said, Danny. And I, I think when I first saw this statement, it made, it, I also just felt very tired, very exhausted because I knew the discussions that would spur out of the statement. And I knew how much of a distraction this is gonna be. And then after that, I, the nightmare came true, at least personally for me, where you, I just had so many people that were seemingly rocking with Black Lives Matter a week ago in our church started saying things like, well, hey, you know, just to clarify, I agree with that they matter, but I don't agree with the organization. And frankly, I'm just tired of black, of supporting, protecting, and fighting for black lives is conditional to a lot of people. It's very conditional. It's like, I'll support you, but just make sure you meet all these criteria for me personally. And then, and then I can rock with you. Then I can yeah. give you the support that you need. And that just wastes time when lives are being taken, when injustices are, are being caused, when things are being perpetuated that damage our community. It's like, we don't, we don't have time for this. For us, for people that look like us, for people that we care about, it's a life or death situation. And change needs to happen sooner then later, and when we have these discussions, you're just taking away from precious seconds that we need to be using to fight for these lives. And uh, I also, yeah, well, I was just oh, gonna no, say, no, go ahead, this go is ahead. a conversation that, that I remember having um, with Esther when I was rereading this book, uh, I Used to Be Perfect, and how he breaks, that breaks down the conversation that Peter is having with Christ, and he's asking him like, how, how many times will I have to forgive my neighbor? And then he's throwing out a number and then Christ rebuttals with another one. And Knight does something very profound that I never viewed that verse in that particular way where Peter is asking less about um, uh, how many times can I forgive and more about 
what limitations and what cutoff point can I place on the love I give to that person? Because Peter, Peter is looking for, all right, if this person does this, can then I now no longer provide my love to this individual? Is, is there something that we can do that will then cut off the amount of forgiveness, the amount of love, the amount of grace that I can provide to that person? And I think it, Christ is trying to prove this point of, I am asking you to place limitless love on each of your neighbors. And if you feel your rules and your laws are placing limitations, then the problem is with you. It's not with them. It's not with their livelihood. It's not with their identity. It's not with their experience. Christ shows in that particular moment where he gives Peter this astronomical number of how many times he's supposed to forgive this person, not for Paul to say once he reaches that, uh, Peter, excuse me, that astronomical number, but for Christ to make the point that, listen, you're looking for limitations. And I'm telling you, that's not my message here because I'm not a God that has limited love. I I'm a God that provides limitless love to everyone. And I think Peter makes the mistake that we see all the time in our church. And it reflects right in the message that we saw from Southern. They make the point to say, we are going to place a limit on how much love we give to the black community, primarily because of what we think our church values are telling us. And that I think is the problem when we think about something like uh, not all of the Black Lives Mattering. When we look at this Black Lives Matter movement, it's primarily women and people in the LGBTQ community that are the leaders running these movements that are at these protests that are speaking on behalf of them. And so I, it, it concerns me when I think about the fact that they're telling the people who are in some ways the faces of this movement that their lives do not matter. And then their response is one where they bring up marriage. Like it, it all ties into what, what, Paul, what you were saying last time with how there is this huge emphasis on your purpose in life comes down and concludes with you being married at some point. And it showed with their response. It, it's like their value was limited on the fact that our scriptures tell them that they can't get married. And then it tells them that because they can't get married to that same sex, then their life doesn't matter. And, and that it, it, it is a problem that we see in so many different avenues, but particularly on this subject, our church is constantly looking for ways to place limitations on how much love we give to the LGBT community. And that is a problem that we've never really addressed. Like wh what message are we sending here when we think we can only love someone to a certain point that nothing about that screams Christ. There's actually some, someone posted something in the comments that I had seen <clears throat> a few days ago, the, the uh, NAD Ministerial Association put out uh, I think it, I think it's worth saying um, there's um, I've actually looked at the article. They quoted it. So thank you, Kevin Spencer Wilson, for posting it. But um, so this guy, A.T. Jones, A.T. Jones, an Adventist dude who eventually apostatized from the church because of some heretical views. But that's beside the point. Um, he wrote a I'm quoting now. He said he, they um, when A.T. Jones wrote a scathing editorial in 1900 criticizing 
um, this women's temperance movement um, for his promotion of Sunday legislation, Ellen White wrote to him saying, my attention has been called by God um, to your articles in our papers in reference to the Women's Christians Women's Christian Temperance Union. In the work of temperance, all church members are supposed to stand upon the platform of union. You are building up barricades that should not be made to appear. It was the Lord's design that work should... Ellen White was really radical. Anyways, it right. was the Lord's design that work should be done for the women's Christian temperance movement union, that those who are seeking the light might be gathered out from those who are so bitterly opposed to the message God is giving to the world. The ideas expressed in your articles savor so strongly of antagonism that you will do harm, more harm than you could possibly conceive. So Ellen White said it, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, they, try, they, try to hit, they try to bury that quote. Yeah, they put that in the compilation. They put that in selected volumes number 85 or something. <laughs> Let me start. <laughs> I, um, I also just want to say, um, when we say that like Black queer lives matter, I think it's important to note like they don't matter just because they exist under the umbrella of being black. Like their queerness is also like part of like them mattering yeah. Yeah. and our yeah. advocacy for them shouldn't start and end with Black Lives Matter. And I mean that like as a church, like as Christians, like our advocacy for them. And honestly, regardless of your of your theology on it, because this is not just about like theology, like you can say what you want to say about like whatever, how you feel personally, they should be living their lives. But like their actual lives are endangered in a number of ways. Yeah. And we shouldn't just be having this conversation when we talk about Black Lives Matter. Like we should be talking about the levels of homelessness. We should be talking about the the abuse that they face. We should be talking about the fact that they cannot exist safely in public spaces. Like all of these things, like we should be championing those causes because that we care about humans and yeah. they are human. Yeah. And it's important. I, I think I I think there are some people that are comfortable saying all Black Lives Matter in the context of Black Lives Matter, but I don't know if they'd be willing to extend that same effort outside of this movement. And I think that's also just as important. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder too that you know, are we more interested in being right than we are being safe? Yeah. You know, like yeah. we allow our opinions to just or our reading of a text to completely override the value and the the beauty of humanity like sitting next to us or before us. We're so obsessed with our differences that we can't seem to find the single ground that we know for sure, which is that we're both human and we're both loved by God. It just it just rings true to me that like there's some people who are just not interested in creating spaces where people are just loved. Who where people are just embraced and people yeah. are just are just like love like Christ loved them, which is a crazy, unthinkable love. I mean, we we know in the word of God that it says, like, you know, seldom would a man die for a good person, right? But like much less for and like yet still we don't find it within ourselves to create spaces that are safe enough, you know, for different opinions and different lifestyles to exist and grow together. It's like we just have this bar that we think is perfect and and 
being right is just way more valuable. Reaching that bar, attaining that that goal, which is probably already flawed, is the most important thing that we can do. And we all know, like if you read the word, if you have a relationship with God, you know for sure that he is a God of love and, and prioritizes love over everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, uh, oh, did you want to say something, Mike? You could go ahead first. That's oh. all good. Um, Something that Esther said reminded me also of just, I know that we've brought this term up a lot on the podcast, but this concept of intersectionality and how even within black spaces, because there's also this idea that some, like there's this idea that can be formed that the only people who are against Black Lives Matter are white people, which is untrue. There are a lot of black people who are also against Black Lives Matter. Um, for various reasons, but then also just thinking even about that, that usually black movements center around black men, whereas Black Lives Matter brings into the center black women and black queer people. And so that is something that black heterosexual cisgendered men, some of them, not all of them, but that's just something that they cannot stand for. The voices of Black women and Black queer people have been silenced for so long. And so I think it's important to remember that someone like folks that are part of the LGBTQ plus community are not just one thing, that their queerness is just as important and as part of their identity as their Blackness. And that can't be separated. Just like for a, a, a cisgendered heterosexual black woman, that womanness is just as important as her blackness. And so however you identify, it's important um, to recognize that in the conversation because we can't just group and lump everything into one. Um, and I think it's important for Black communities to also recognize our blind spots in that, where we tend to think, okay, this is about Black people without recognizing the different levels of inequality, the different levels of uh, oppression that are seen by people who share various other uh, identities that, over that overlap. So, yes. No, that's that's great. And um, that actually spurred a quick thought before I share what I was going to say. Um, one of the interesting things about this particular part of the conversation regarding the Black Lives Matter movement is oftentimes, you know, one of the classic critiques that detractors of the Black Lives Matter movement um, use is this whole, you know, idiotic statement of, well, what about black on black crime? And, you know, you all aren't talking about that. And um, I believe it was Esther a couple of episodes ago was talking in particular you know, when we were talking about transgender black women. Uh, and I think maybe it was Adrian who shared some of the stats around that. And then Esther talking about how a lot of the violence that transgender black women are suffering are at the hands of black men, you know? And so in a very real way, actually, Black Lives Matter talking about and uplifting the, the value 
of the most vulnerable persons in the black population, which are black transgender women, is you know not in the same way, but is addressing violence within the black community. But that's uncomfortable for those persons to you know they they're talking about you know oh do you hear about what happened in Chicago? Like I don't know how many persons I've heard talk about that in random non-connected meetings in the past you know week, and it's like well I used to live in Chicago and there were conversations about gun violence multiple times a week every week. Uh, but you you know you're not interested in going, but I could take you to some if you'd like to. So. I just think that that's interesting and people oftentimes, you know, miss that whole point. Uh, but, the, but the other quick thing that I was going to say is that, um, you know, in, in regards to, you know, this whole conversation around me losing my train of thought, it's, it's gone. So whoever else wants to jump in. I ran I ran out of connectors. I was like, yo, I gotta own it. That thing is gone. Oh. <laughs> I do have to um, about intersectionality. I think another thing that we should really be talking about when we talk about intersectionality is that. If you're actually like really, really trying to do the work, like it's actually inevitable, like you have to be intersectional because yeah. all of these things, like all of these isms, like like you cannot actually tackle white supremacy without also tackling heteronormative culture, without also tackling sexism, without also mm -hmm. like, and that's proven throughout history because a lot of the movements that we have seen create lasting meaningful change were coalition movements. They were yeah. movements between varying groups of people who saw this thing is inhibiting both of us. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, the women's rights movement and the abolition movement from slavery are directly tied to each other. Like they, they that that is how those two things came to be is with people from both communities recognizing, okay, we women, we believe in um, abolition and the abolition of slavery. We cannot speak up for it though because of the sexism that is silencing our voices, right? Like, so all of these things are is so interconnected that it's impossible to not, like if we don't focus on all of them, then we won't get anything done at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I, I I remember what I was gonna say, there you and, go. and, they, and they dragging me for being old in the private chat. <laughs> I'm, 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 just, I'm just get it off my chest real quick before I forget it again. Um, but I, I, you know, one of the things I just want to share real quick, and this kind of goes back to how, you know, the Christian community engages with these conversations in general. I've been I've been reading this really powerful book. It's not a new book, but I just kind of discovered it in the past couple of weeks. And the title of the book is actually Jesus is the Question. Uh, of course, we're, we're often are familiar with, you know, the phrase and the song, Jesus is the answer. Um, but what's interesting about this book, and I've just started to scratch the surface of it, is it looks at, you know, Jesus in the four gospels. And uh, there's some interesting stats that you'll find uh, when you start to examine his conversations with people. Uh, what the author reveals there is that Jesus has asked 183 questions in the four gospels. That's if you don't replicate questions between. So 183 unique questions. 
he gives a direct answer if you the most inclusive estimate of how many direct answers he gave because he gives a lot of answers but they're not direct uh he gave a direct answer to at most eight questions out of those 183 and conversely he asked 307 questions hmm. and so we have this idea in christian community that a relationship and a walk with christ is going to give us all these answers but when christ rocked this earth he wasn't he 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 really didn't care much about the questions that we were asking. He was trying to push us and prompt us to ask better questions. And and that better questions would lead us to better pathways to discovery, better pathways towards the pursuit of wisdom and not just valuing knowledge because we think that we can stack data points on top of data points and that's going to give us the clarity that we need when wisdom is actually the knowledge of that I don't know and, and the security and intellectual humility to be okay with not knowing. And, and, and in that space of mystery, allowing Jesus to step in because Jesus's answer oftentimes is his presence. And when we allow him to step into the room in the midst of our questions, in the midst of that lack of clarity, he can show us that, okay, we in that same vein need to make our response and our answer to all these different questions that we have to be to engage, to be present, to share that other-centered love in the way that he did, uh, as opposed to assuming that we have all the answers and then using those answers to exclude people, which oftentimes happens in our religious community. Yeah, and I remember I I wanted to bring up something I thought was very profound when I was listening to the podcast that Logan, you had been suggesting as your PMI. I loved it. It's been transformational for me. That's going to be by my PMI. I'll you know suggest that later. But one of the things that I, I really shook the way that they try the hosts and who they're interviewing how they break down like the concept of like what law is in in scripture and it really ties in to to Danny what you were saying about the holy spirit and how it moves like the wind and they took a very uh they took i mean they took a couple of verses but the one that really stuck out to me um was when she talks about uh, Paul and where he is wrestling with the concept of divorce. And when he originally is brought to this situation, the Old Testament seems to get very clear guidelines of what is allowed for the premise of divorce. But here, you know, Paul is now finding himself in this new scenario, this new situation, uh, this new form of ethics where he then says, okay, what this person is going through right now, I believe is a legitimate reason to leave their spouse. Prior to knowing that the only reason that you could look upon was something like uh, uh, if someone was unfaithful to their spouse. But oftentimes when we look at Paul making this other extension, this other allowance of, of divorce, we look at Paul's response as as God allowing him to add like a one a one B to a one A rule of what the very rigid guidelines are for divorce, 
But that isn't what Paul was doing. <laughs> in fact, what Paul was doing is why I believe so powerfully in the word of God is that Paul is setting an example of what we situationally do when it comes to these laws that we believe are supposed to be rigid. Peace out, Logan. I'm assuming he had to go take his flight. But, and and so this is part of where I believe we, we've fallen short because the author also goes on to say that we have applied that same concept to things like slavery, where we originally believed that the Bible texts were very clear, very rigid. And it was the way that verses, these verses were justifying the use of slavery in America. And then we, we see these convictions, we see these situations, we see these ethics start to conflict with the way we want to view God and how he's an, an agape loving God that places no limitations on his love. And so we we wrestle with that text. We we wrestle with the concept of slavery. Yet for some reason, when it comes to this particular topic, we place these limitations on our exegesis. We we place these limitations on our studying and wrestling with the word. And and that is something that I it, it's been very frustrating to me when I try to engage with some of these people. I, I say, well. How are you making sense with what Paul's doing right here? Because if we follow your very rigid black and white views of law, then what Paul did on the concept of divorce is breaking the law. He's going out of the, the boundaries of what divorce is supposed to look like based off of your very rigid exegesis of what divorce is supposed to look like. And that I think shows the, the contradictions we sometimes have where we choose which laws we want to be progressive and situational with. And that I think is the problem when it comes to the theology conversation. We're not being honest about how progressive we are in certain cases. If we're being that black and white, some of these verses suggest that we should be murdering these LGBTQ community people, but we're not doing that, which shows that we are capable of showing a level of progressiveness in our viewing of the world that we live in currently. And that I, I, I really just wanted to encourage any of our viewers that feel that tension amongst them about what the law says, about what the rules are. To really, to really wrestle with what Paul shows us in that moment. Thank you guys so much for sharing. Uh, we do want to address a question that was posed to Paul a little bit earlier. Uh, Shastri, thank you so much for asking. Uh, it's directed to Paul. Yes, Paul, uh, Shastri asked, what conference... Um, are you a part of, or what conference do you work for? And the second question was, and what was that experience like as a pastor? Um, yeah, I don't work for any conference. Um, I was supposed to be hired by a by the Carolina conference, um, but um, because I'm gay, even though they never said it, they've never said anything. Um, they um, they didn't hire me because I'm gay, and you know very long story, long story. Um, but th that experience has been, um, all just kind of, kind of confusing and on their end, hypocritical, um, on the end of the church. And so now really just working to try to see some reform happen in our, 
in our denomination, um, where we're more inclusive of LGBT people, where we stand by the policies that we have, because if we actually followed our policies, we'd be a lot more uh, accepting, a lot more inclusive. Um, people should look at our policies. I think that people need to hold our leadership to what we've actually written. Um, but anyways, um, so yeah, it's been a, it's a very frustrating, it's a very frustrating thing. I'm actually glad, I'm very happy to not work for the church because I would have been stifled. Uh, I would not have be, I would not be able to say or say the things I do or live in the ways I do if I were to have to be um, a pastor. And that's not to knock any pastors or anything. I'm a pastor, just not in a traditional sense. Um, but neither was Christ. Um, but so, yeah, this has been a very interesting experience. If you want to, I talk extensively about what all has happened. I'm trying to save my energy on that because I have talked so much about it in the last two weeks. Um, if you want to go about, go to my Facebook, um, my Facebook profile, go back to two Thursdays ago and it, you'll find um, where I do it, Facebook Live that went on for two hours where I explain in great, in great detail everything that went on. Thank you so much for answering that question, especially how I know, like you said, it can, it can definitely be a little taxing. And uh, thank you, Sastry, for um, asking that question. So, guys, uh, we're coming up to the end of our discussion here. We, we have a few minutes left and, you know, uh, was it, I wasn't sure if we were going to uh, run longer or shorter so we can actually do our PMIs now. We don't have to put them in the comments. If you guys Yay. are ready, ready to give one. Our timekeeper is um, letting us rock. I got it. Please, please feel free to. <laughs> oh, man, I love punctuality, even though I'm always late to the show. So PMI, <laughs> of course, stands for Peaked My Interest. Uh, that means, hey, can you please share a book, TV show, movie, piece of music, or even just a thing that you uh, watched or read that is – Peaking your interest that is making you so excited that you would love to share it here on the show. Uh, for our esteemed guests, guests, I would love for a Paul to go first. If you have something to share, please go ahead. Books to share? Anything. Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, well, I just started, I just started uh, a, a couple of days ago, um, How to Be Gay by by David Haperlin. Just type in how to be gay. David Haperlin. It's a pink cover book with a new guy on it. Okay, that mm -hmm. probably wasn't the best way to describe that, but there we are. Anyways, <laughs> um, the other, and so that's basically just talking about it's talking about the um, gayness as cultural orientation and not merely sexual orientation. Um, and then another book that was really helpful for me in wrestling with myself as a single person, as a celibate person, um, and as a gay person, um, was um, oh my gosh. Spiritual Friendship by Dr. Wesley Hill. Um, he is also a single gay. Um, Dean Yeagley, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's a theologian or a biblical scholar of some sort. Some, uh, some sort. And um, again, his name is Wes Hill. And the book is Spiritual Friendship. And it's just a beautiful book. I recommend it for gay people, straight people. Um, just, it really changed the way I view friendship and the value of that relationship, especially in a society that says that the only thing that matters is if you're having sex with someone. Thank you so much for sharing, Paul. Uh, Aura, do you have a PMI to share with us? I do. Um, this weekend, my sister, Lisi, Esther's sister also, Lisi, um, showed 
me a series on YouTube. It's by Refinery29. It's called State of Grace. And it's a really interesting, like, short series that talks about queerness and, like, Christianity and other political issues as well. Uh, and I just think it's very interesting and fun to watch. Very good. Thank you so much. Uh, please, if you haven't noticed yet, the PMIs are in the comment section, so you can go there uh, to check them out. Danielle, we're again so happy to have you back. Could you share your PMI with us next? Uh, so my PMI actually is in a book. They're just uh, three Instagram accounts that I think are great to follow um, of Black queer people who are constantly uh, you know, sharing information, uh, keeping keeping the community updated and also advocating. Um, the first one is actually one of the actresses from Pose, uh, India Moore, a uh, black trans woman. Uh, and uh, India Moore uh, constantly is bringing light to uh, the what's happening in the black trans community. Um, another person to follow would be, I'm like finding all their pages because I didn't properly bring them up. Uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Dominique Jackson also actress on Pose, a Black Caribbean woman who um, constantly is an advocate as well. And also uh, the last one would actually be Afrosexuality. It is a page created on Instagram that talks about Black sexuality um, in a very, uh, it is both educational, but also expansive. Um, and sheds light to sex, sexuality and sex education um, from the perspective of Black people, uh, not the way that it's traditionally been taught um, and explained in white spaces. So um, those are three pages that are uh, Black-led um, by Black people and are also fully inclusive of the queer Black experience in the U.S. Excellent. Uh, Simone, please share for us next, if you can. Yeah. So um, my PMI is this book. You guys probably already knew where I was headed, Hood Feminism um, by Mickey Kendall. And um, this has been so powerful so far because she basically sheds light to the fact that feminism, um, womanism is so much more than just whether or not women are like oppressed to wear stockings or whether we have to wear skirts and dresses all the time. It includes things like food scarcity and, um, and a lot of issues that I guess, you know, and as you can tell, hood feminism, things that happen in um, marginalized communities um, where, you know, we're, we're constantly talking about female issues, but it's usually centered um, not so much in a community way, but it's centered on us um, and our bodies. And, and we're so much more than that. Um, and so um, it's a great read, highly suggest. Um, and it's definitely available, as you can see from Bookshop, which is great. 
Very good. Very good. Thank you so much for sharing. Adrian, please share for us next. Yeah. So I um, I have been listening to the podcast called Open Bible Podcast. Um, it is an effort for these two theologians to um, go through scripture and um, their purpose is to get a better understanding of the conversation of affirming and not affirming in the LGBTQ community and what the church can do there. Um, and they do a very phenomenal job at breaking down each text, adding historical cultural context to it. Uh, they also bring in a number of theologians who are experts on this topic, um, that they're obviously progressive theologians, but they do a great job at um, uh, just informing us on something that um, I, I'm learning and, and I, I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm excited to listen to it every day. Um, there are a couple of, of episodes I would really want to point out, but overall, the whole thing is good. I, I recommend it for anyone who is looking to expand their their understanding on this topic and to expand their theology on this topic. This one, it, it does a great job at it. So I would recommend it for sure. Thank you so much, Adrian. Um, again, all of the content that we're talking about is in the comment section on Facebook and on YouTube. And guys, thank you so much for watching with us. Esther, could you share with us next, please? Um, yeah, <laughs> this week is, um, I think I emailed it to you, Nix. Um, it's, um, from the, it's, it's a podcast from the New York Public Library from like years ago, but it's a conversation between Angela Davis and Toni Morrison. It's very good. There's no moderator. It's just those two talking about things that they care about and it's clear that they were friends and it's just wonderful. So everybody should go check it out. You'll learn a lot, but you'll also be like, I feel like I know you guys now. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. Uh, honestly, anything from a public library, I instantly want to listen to. So thank you for sharing that. And I think lastly, Mike, can you share for us? And also shout out to Mike Nixon for finding all of uh, these links and putting them in. He is always working overtime and we appreciate him. Uh, Mike, can you share for us next, please? Uh, thanks for affirming me, host. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, so my, my PMI is, I talked about it a little bit earlier. Jesus is the question, uh, the 307 questions Jesus asked and the well, it says three on the cover because some people say that, but it's actually the eight he answered. Um, just really powerful. It's really, for me, reframing my whole perspective on what it means to follow Christ. You know, when I was a, you know, a young believer, quote unquote, I was really drawn to this book called God's Answers to Your Questions because I really wanted a lot of answers. And it gave me the security that I would learn as I got older was a false sense of security. Uh, because as those answers started to get blown up by actual real human life, um, I had to start from scratch. And so for anyone else who's sort of in that same space or is wanting to explore what a journey with a Jesus who's the great questioner as opposed to the universal answerer, uh, if you want to step into the mystery of what that is, this book is a good start. 
Thank you so much for sharing. Um, my PMI is an Instagram account that I found a couple weeks ago, and it's called So You Want to Talk About. And essentially, it has different topics that it dissects and it discusses the description or, or, or what's in the bio is dissecting progressive politics and social issues in graphic slideshow form. So they cover topics like apoliticism, defunding the police, reopening schools, Black Lives Matter movement, fake news, intergenerational trauma. So they cover a lot and it's very digestible and it's a way to share these important discussions in an easy way. So I definitely would recommend that too. And that's our show. Thank you so much for affirming our interaction here on the show. And we hope you can take what you have learned here and apply it in, 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 in apply it in real tangible ways. I'm your host, Jordan Smart. Brianna's Taylors are still uh, free. And this is Mike Nixon, Adrian, Aura, Simone, Danny, and Paul. We're so glad that you guys are able to join us. We'll see you next week.